You can have a seat. Kiddos can head downstairs. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we come before you, uh, people in need of you, people in need of your word uh, to fill our hearts and minds and redefine our reality. Uh, people who uh, are out in the world that um, it's not the way it should be. Surrounded by threats and fears on all sides, I pray, Father, that in your mercy, this time we've set aside for the reading and preaching and singing of your word, uh, that you would empower with your spirit and, and transform us uh, into uh, the image of Christ, into the, the fruit of the spirit. I pray, Father, that you would give us peace this morning through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you. We're uh, continuing our series through uh, emotion and devotion. If you uh, were like me, uh, growing up, devotions were something that you did, uh, were supposed to do in the morning very seriously for about 15 minutes before you got on your, on your way uh, through, throughout, uh, throughout your week. And that's true and good. We're all about waking up and spending some time in, in the Word, but we're looking at emotions because it, we hope that we see, we see the heart being involved in our time with God. Uh, praying through our emotions is one of the ways that we follow Jesus together. Uh, we see Jesus bringing his heart, bringing his cares uh, before his Father uh, in heaven uh, as he did, uh, was on the earth in his earthly ministry. Today we're talking about fear, and I want to, uh, next week we're going to talk about anxiety. And so just to kind of frame our discussion here, uh, when you talk about fear and anxiety, what, what is the difference between those two things? Because I think a lot of times we use them kind of interchangeably. And for our discussion here, this is not a end-all, be-all definition. Fear is being, uh, or we'll start with anxiety. Anxiety is being worried that a lion could burst through the wall and eat us all, whereas fear was what we'd feel if there was actually a lion in the room. Does that make sense? Fear is when you're afraid of something that is, that is true, that is imminent, uh, that's right in front of you, or that has happened to you, uh, whereas anxiety is, is, is kind of the, the what-ifs uh, that, that we, we conjure in our minds uh, all, all the time. So fear is when there's a threat imminent. There's a threat that you have experienced, people you know have experienced, it's right there. Anxiety is the what-ifs, is, is what we kind of come up, come up with on our own. And I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about my, my own story, my own life, and how, how I've experienced this, this fear, or how, how am I experiencing fear currently? Because uh, the best way, uh, and this is one of the gifts of being a pastor, is that you come to the text to prepare to preach it, and it just works you over. <laughs> it just, the, the step one is get slayed by the word. Step two, try to figure out how to preach it. Um, and I was thinking about which, what, what has been... Um, What's currently going on in my heart with fear? And, and honestly, what came to mind, uh, if I'm being totally honest, is church member meetings. I came from a, a church before I uh, took the pastorate up here where we had our member meetings on Wednesday nights and uh, people would bring in snacks and we'd come in to the church, you know, tired from our days and it was the members who had committed and bought into the vision and mission of that church, and we'd come together, and we'd sing a song, and we'd hear some scripture, and we'd stand up and encourage each other, and then the leadership would kind of talk about what God has done, and then look forward to the next few months and what God was doing, 
And it was just this beautiful time of family. Whereas it was, it was the, we loved gathering on Sundays to worship, but those like once a quarter member meetings were just these really sweet family times where we felt like we all kind of limped in and then we were bolstered by being together as a church family. So that was kind of young in life, young in ministry. That was one of my, uh, one of my first ministry positions at that, at that church. And then about a month into my time here, there was a, 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 also a member meeting and it ended with a fiery debate about missionary Christmas presents, where you had one contingent that was all about financial responsibility and the other one that was all about showing love to our missionaries. And there was just not a word heard betwixt the two. <laughs> and, you know, it was my, I was, I'd only been a pastor here a month. And so Camille and I are just sitting there wanting to just kind of get to know what's going on. And, and of course, we knew coming in that this was a church in need of revitalization that's one of the reasons why they, they called me here. Uh, it, it was a very stark realization of kind of what, what, what exactly we are working with here. And sadly, it, it got worse from there. I'm not going to re, re, recap other member meetings, but they, they've been even worse than that. And so member meetings, uh, instead of being this place where we limp in and are bolstered by the, the Spirit of God and His people, uh, they're, they're ones that, that honestly I'm really a scared I'm scared of and hey we have one today hooray <laughs> so uh, I didn't think about that when I decided to preach on fear uh, that I would pick a member meeting Sunday but uh, here we are and so what my point in saying is that like there have been bad member meetings I have experienced significant pain at the hands of member meetings <laughs> they don't have hands but you, you know what I'm talking about <laughs> through through member meetings and as we come to God's word, we see how to, how to pray our fear. It's a really beautiful passage, a very poetic passage that shows us how to process our fear with God. And the, the predominant theme of our series through the Psalms this fall is that God wants our heart. He wants our emotions at a pre-reflective state. He doesn't want us to get it all under control and tie a bow on it and then just you know, say, thanks for handling that abstract feeling that I had at one point. No, we see over and over and over again in the Psalms that the, the psalmist, they, they just pre-reflected. Before they've really digested it, they just share their hearts with God. And then they also, as we let the Psalms form how, how we process our emotions, it shows us how to share them with God. So we're going to look at how to process, process our fear. Again, fear being uh, something, not a, not a what if, because we could all come up with what ifs till we're... Uh, um, till the cows come home, and we'll look at anxiety uh, next week. But we're looking at things where maybe uh, something bad has happened to you, and you're afraid of it happening again, or you're facing an imminent danger, an imminent risk that's that's right there. How do we how do we process it? So let's dive into our text here. We're in Psalm 46. John read for us. Let me read uh, verses. One and two. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. So on the, on the front end, when we look at this passage, particularly verse two, the author of the psalm says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Well, that sounds kind of like anxiety. That sounds kind of like a hypothetical. Uh, the earth doesn't really you know, give way unless you live in certain spots, you know, in California or whatnot. But 
we get some pretty fascinating insight into this psalm when we look at the little uh, description right in between Psalm 46 and verse 1. What does it say? For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, no one really knows what that means, a song. So throughout uh, the ancient manuscripts, some of the psalms, they have these little intros where they, they say who wrote it. And the sons of Korah wrote this psalm talking about even though the earth gives way. And so we're going to get into uh, a fascinating book called Numbers and look at some fun church history here. So flip over in your Bibles. We're going to look at who Korah was and what was going on with his sons. Flip over to number 16. This is page 235. I don't think I've ever preached from Numbers, so I'm kind of excited. It's good to you know get to the whole counsel of the Word of God. This is a crazy passage. This and Numbers 16, <clears throat> it's narrative, it's church history or Israelite history, and some background. Of what's happening is God has His chosen people, Israel, and He's there's 12 tribes, and He's kind of set it up so that different tribes and then different families within the tribes have certain responsibilities for some some in regards to worship <clears throat> excuse me and in the tribe that was in charge of worship and doing all the uh, religious activity and manning the tabernacle and whatnot <clears throat> there there was some some tension and Korah gets some people together two other families together and they do a power grab they go to Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders. Moses was kind of the leader over everything, and then Aaron was the head uh, kind of worship leader, if you will. And they say, who are you? You guys are oppressing us. You're lording it over us. You're being too heavy-handed with us. We want your job. We want power. So that's, that's where we are. They're saying, you shouldn't be in control. We want power. We want it our way. So look at starting in verse 28, number 16, Verse 28, Moses responds to their power grab. This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die, meaning Korah and his crew, a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them, with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. <clears throat> Interesting that it's the Lord they're treating with contempt, not the leaders. It's the leaders that God put into place. Verse 31. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground underneath them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households, and all of Korah's men, and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned, and the earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. So that's the Bible that happened. And it is the descendants of this man Korah who is writing this psalm writing this psalm on, on fear. And in case you are a detailed person, you're like, well, if everybody fell into the earth, who is alive to write this psalm later? 
You can flip there if you want, a few pages over, Numbers 26, 251. This is just a, a point of clarification. Numbers 26, 8 through 11. It says, The son of Palu was Eliab, and the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. The same Dathan and Abiram were the community officials who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and were among Korah's followers when they rebelled against the Lord. Again, they rebelled against the Lord, not his leaders. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died uh, when fire devoured the 250 men. That's the next part. We didn't even get to that. That's another crazy thing. And they served as a warning sign. Verse 11. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. So... This crazy thing happens in this family line. Talk about some family baggage here. What would it be like if a majority of your descendants got swallowed up by the earth? Not, the line did not die out. And in a beautiful picture of redemption, we have Psalm 46. And the, the sons of Korah actually wrote a bunch of psalms, several of which we've looked at. Because they were part of the tribe that was in charge of worship and writing songs and uh, taking care of the tabernacle. And so we see this beautiful redemption where they're, they're, looking, uh, they're looking to God and they're looking at something that really happened. The earth did, gave, did give way. And yet they will not fear. This is a real fear, a real possibility. We talk, about, we talk about it a lot here, that knowing our story, knowing what's gone on in our past, both personally, what's gone on in our family history, plays a role in, in what we do, that we react out of wounds. Anything that's not healed and transformed in our hearts is transferred onto those around us. When we've been hurt by people in the past, then we are ready, we're afraid of being hurt like that in the present. And so what we see here is, the sons of Korah are showing us that in our fear, when we're faced with, with a real imminent danger, a real possibility of happening, that we bring that to God. This passage, verse 2, ends, The mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. It kind of goes from this, this, this aspect of uh, the earth swallowing them whole, to just the reality that all of nature could crush us at any point. Like, humans are incredibly finite. I rode my bike along the river here this morning, and I thought about, man, if I fell into the water, it would be very cold. I mean, it's not very deep. I could probably get out or whatever. But even just in, in, our, in our normal civilization, there, there's so much that, that is beyond us. Nature itself shows shows the finiteness of our strength that like in the face of our fear what do we actually have to hope in in and of ourselves the answer is not much so if you're following along in your bulletin the first point if we want to deal with our fear is to state it state our fear it's true of most emotions but in particular with our fear sometimes we are ninja level repressors we don't think about it we don't talk about it we just distract ourselves or if you have ever shared your fear with someone who gets uncomfortable around like negative emotions, they're like, well, just don't think about that. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, you know, just, it'll, it'll be okay. You know, it's that like, you know, we grew up in a family like that, you know, it's not okay to be afraid or scared. Just like, just squash it. Just stop, you know, being negative or whatever. That's not how God is. He, he wants us to state our fear. 
It's not a positive thinking kind of, kind of deal. Because he says it very clearly. Even though the earth gives away, we will not fear. Step one is, is state it. Maybe one of the, the biggest steps of faith you could do today or this week is to get a piece of paper or a journal and just start journaling out. What am I afraid of? Or sitting quietly with God and saying, would you show me my fear? To what degree is fear having control of my life and my heart? After we state our fear, the next step we see in this psalm is to state our hope. This is, these are some of my favorite verses. I feel like I say that about too many verses, which is probably makes it not matter. But these are just a, this is a beautiful picture, beautiful poetry. We state, state our hope. Look at what the psalmist uh, describes as his hope, starting in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lift his vo- lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The first thing we see, and this has probably been the most exciting and surprising thing as I've studied the Psalms, is how much the community of God's people plays a role in the Psalms, in particular in dealing with our emotions. We look at emotional health, we look at the decline of emotional health in our society, despite all our therapy and what, what you know, pop cultural self-help books, is because we're trying to do it alone. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. We read in our call to worship that this idea of the city of God, God's people in a place, in a civilization that's completely and fully under his rule and reign, is kind of the goal, is the vision, is, is where we're headed. Yes, God saves us individually, into his family as his children, but he also saves us to be citizens of his kingdom. And so his hope is that there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It's a holy place where the Most High dwells. His hope is a city, a people of God, where where God dwells with them. God dwells among them. This is a, a beautiful intimacy. Not only is it in the people of God, it's that it's the people of God with God in, in their presence, with them. And coming out of a, a family, some family baggage that is both literally and figuratively unstable, has instability in its background, look at verse 6, or verse 5, I'm sorry. God is within her, she, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. His hope is the people of God living under the reign and rule of God in total security and stability. Verse 6 then looks at political unrest. See if this sounds familiar to our current day and age. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He's juxtaposing the city of God that shall not be moved. And look what he says says next about God. God lifts his voice and the earth melts. His hope in the face of his fear 
is not some kind of strategy or repression or denial, but it's that a word of God melts everything. That at a word of God, he has power over it all. That God is with us and he is powerful. This is the hope that we see addressing fear. And then he gets to this refrain that he repeats both in verse 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This refrain is, is beautiful and loaded. First, it starts with the presence of God being with us. Our hope, our security, is not that God from a distance is keeping us safe, but he's actually with us. And that he's a fortress. He's where we are safe. You see him looking to God for his hope, not uh, for stuff, not for a bigger army. God help my army grow or whatever it would be in some kind of earthly power. But God himself is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then he repeats it. He repeats it in ver- he says it in verse 7 and then verse 11 like a refrain, like a chant. He continues to describe his hope, uh, <clears throat> looking at verses 8 and 9. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. In this picture of, of hope and the redemption of all things, we see the city of God uh, under the rule and reign of God, and we see violence ending. It's a, it's a beautiful redemption when he says that desolations he has brought on the earth. He's a, a survivor of the desolations that God has brought on the earth, the desolations of the earth swallowing up his ancestors. He sees as a testimony to God's power towards evil. And then verse 9 He says that the hope of our fear, the hope in the face of our fear, is that we will no longer need the Second Amendment. We will no longer need all these weapons. The the wars will cease. And that God in his power, with the word of his mouth, melts everything. So the bows and spears and and shields or chariots, all all are, are nothing compared to the power of of God. Is anyone here afraid of war or violence? I can't remember if I've told this story, but I was speaking with another pastor who was visiting a, a, a friend of a friend out in, the, out in the country, and this guy was showing him his gun collection. There's nothing wrong with guns, obviously, uh, and he was showing this like huge assault rifle, and he's like, wow, look at, look at that, and <laughs> And then he showed him like this kind of prepper cave where he had a lot of food and stuff. And this guy is telling this pastor, as a Christian, he's like, when, every, when the economy tanks and all the food dries up, all those hungry people from Grand Rapids are going to come out to the country and I'm going to be ready for them. Here's a, a Christian man saying, like, I need to arm myself to shoot hungry people when the economy collapses. That's a fearful person. And my point in saying that is, is where do we put our hope? Again, there's nothing wrong with having guns. I know where we live. Like, arm yourself. It's fine. But as we state our hope, we look to what Scripture says is true. 
and we see the end we, we see the end of violence. We get our daily dose of fear-mongering on the e evening news, and we see just the instability of everything. Where, where do we place our hope? Because after we've stated it, after we state our hope, now we've got to take it to the bank. That's the third point. We have to live our hope or embody our hope. Because a hope is not a hope unless you're living it out. As we look at living out our hope, we look at addressing our fear by, by stating it, by stating our hope. I also want to put a question before you as we, as we look into embodying this, because fear is perhaps one of the most sensitive places of our heart, one of the most like foundational emotions that we feel. Most other emotions can be tied down or can, can be traced down to fear, like anger most of the time is always connected to fear. So I, I want, to, I want to go slow, and I want to be gentle as we look to addressing it. And just start with this question. Do you want less fear in your life? Are, are, you, are you okay with where fear is at in your life, or would you like additional freedom from it? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Because one of the things we see to be true about life is that your life is currently perfectly set up to give you the results that you are already getting. So if you're happy with your results, then you know let's kind of you know just keep it keep it keep it going. But if you'd like perhaps a different level of fear in your life, or less fear, or increased peace, to say it positively, let's consider how we can live out this hope. Because if we don't live it out, it doesn't work. For example, retirement. You can have all the hope that you want, theoretically, in the stock market or savings, but if you don't actually like, put money away, it's not really going to work out for you. Because hope's not an idea. It's a, it's a way to live. So in terms of living out our hope, living out uh, things that make us feel safe in face of fear, let's ask, uh, have they helped? And our insurance policies and security alarms and whatnot, have they helped? And let's consider how we can live it out. Let me read verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The key theme in this psalm as we look at dealing with our fear is the presence of God, of knowing God, God being with us. Verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Even as the psalmist is stating all these hopes that we just went through, we look into the vision of where everything is headed in a city, a people of God, uh, where God, where God dwells with her. He helps her at daybreak. And the city will not fall. All these things, all these hopes that we would state, we have to know them first. We have to know God through his word so that we can hope in him. We see this connection with knowing God and fear going away in 1 John 4, verse 18. It shows us the relational reality. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears 
is not made perfect in love. Let me read that again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What this passage is showing us is that fear is fundamentally a relationship issue. It's a love issue. It's a knowing God issue. Fear in our lives is showing us a relational breakdown with a loving Father who's with us, who keeps us. So step one in living out our hope is is setting up our lives so that we can know our hope. We can know God himself. We can know his word. We can let what he reveals about himself to be true, more true than what we see everywhere else. And then how do we grow a relationship? If you want to say, if you want to say to someone, I would like to grow a relationship, I would like to be closer to you, how, how would that work? What, what might be a good first step? is to be with the person. This is where verse 10 is so crucial. The psalmist says, quoting God, be still and know that I am God. Being with the other person. It's significant, I think, that he doesn't say, do a bunch of stuff and know that I am God. Obey all my commands and know that I am God. He says, be still. Anybody else struggle with that? Where you want to increase a relationship, it's easier to do a bunch of stuff for them rather than just be still and be with them? Like husbands, we, I get an amen. Like, oh, I'm going to show my wife I love her by never talking to her and working really hard or something like that. It's like, why is it so hard for us to be instead of do? I think in stillness, one of the main things that we see in terms of uh, our relationship with God is, is mistrust, which is the kryptonite for all of us, which is what ultimately brought about sin into the world in the Garden of Eden. And so stillness is a way that we can be with God and know him on his terms. Blaise Pascal was a theologian and also like an inventor and mathematician, a very smart man, if you will, from the 17th century. And he has this quote that says, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. And he wrote that in the 1600s, like before any screens were around and the constant you know, barrage of information and commercials. He was seeing miseries even then. How much more true is that for us now? The connection between busyness and fear, I think, should give us great pause. Because in our fear, what do we want to do? We want to spring into action, try to maintain some kind of hedge of protection. And that's the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do in the face of our fear. It doesn't say spring into action and set up your zombie apocalypse compound, which is where my heart goes. Instead, it says, be still and know me. Stillness brings it out. It, it brings out what our fear is. 
Because busyness in our culture, I believe, functions largely like a narcotic. It just keeps us from feeling anything because we're just always on to the next thing, the next TV show, the next podcast, the next project at work. <clears throat> we can just live miles away from this whole engine of fear that's, that's driving us into destruction. And so in stillness, we, it can be revealed. And in stillness, we can know God and allow his perfect love to cast it out. And again, if you're okay with the results you're getting from your life, if you're okay with the level of fear in your life, if you don't feel a need for additional peace, like this is not uh, thus saith the Lord. This is an invitation from our Father to ex experience more peace. I would encourage you to, to make embrace stillness this week. Depending on where you where you are at, you might need to just start with like five minutes. Just take five minutes at your lunch lunch break at work. Set a timer and just sit there for five minutes. This is like total grace zone where you don't. Have to, there's no way to not do this. Do this. There's no way to do this wrong. You can't fail at this. Like it's simply being still before your Father and asking the Spirit to be with you. But listen, I know that life is loaded. You know, if you have little kids. Like, you'll, you'll need an army to figure out how to get some space. Like, when, you, when your husband gets home, or take turns, or early in the morning, or a, a break from work. But I would encourage you, just find some place to get, to get alone with God and be still. And I'd encourage you, this is just really practical, this has helped me, take it or leave it, is to set a timer. Preferably not on your phone, because you shouldn't have your phone. You shouldn't have infinity in your pocket when you're trying to be alone with God. Uh, set, set a timer and just say, like, I don't need to think about, I don't need to decide like when I've been still enough. Just like pick up five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, and just be still. And when it goes off, what, whatever, whatever happened, happened. But I know this could be hard. I know this, everything in our life, everything in our world is working against this. But as the psalmist quotes God, he invites us to be still and know him. This highlights our degree of trust or lack thereof. And I'll also say this. Say you do longer than five minutes and you fall asleep while you're being still with God. That is okay. <laughs> There's this beautiful passage that I think about probably three times a week. It says, God gives to his beloved sleep. So even if you get some time and you're sitting in a comfy chair, you'd be like, God, I want to be with you. Help me to trust you. And you get to a peaceful place where you can drift off for 10, 20 minutes or whatever. Praise God for that. And if it happens like every time we try to get alone with God, maybe we need to look at, you know, sleep hygiene or something. But there's just so much grace here to ask God to just calm you down, to help you to trust him, to help, help you to know that he is God and we are not. Again, you don't have to. It's not a law, but an invitation. If you're okay with where you're at, you're okay with the results that your life is producing, then cheers. I would love to know what, what works and, and, and how that has been for you. But if you're tired being afraid all the time, consider what God's word says and consider how you're living, what hope you're living out. Are you hoping in work, in money, in insurance, in your arsenal and prepper cabin or where, wherever that is? I would love to see, by the way, if you have one of those. If you want different results, consider setting your life up in a different way, starting with stillness. I just want to pause before we close here and just ask, like, how, how are you hearing me? Because 
my prayer is that this would, this would be an invitation into a level of peace that a uh, few of us, I think, walk in. And so maybe you're here and you can acknowledge that you're a fearful person and you just feel crushed. You're like, I know I'm fearful. I know I shouldn't be. I know that first John verse that says perfect love casts out fear and I haven't been made complete. Thank you. I know that. Listen, friend, there's, there's no condemnation in this, but just an invitation. This isn't meant to make you feel bad about your fear, but to call you out of it into the loving embrace of the Father. And if you're, you're hearing this, because again, I know fear, I probably just tromped all over it. If you're hearing this and, and, you, and you, feel, you feel defensive, you, you want to push back, you're like, this hipster millennial mindfulness stuff, this new agey being quiet meditation stuff, just consider Consider where that comes from. And then consider if, this, if you hear this coming from me and my, my youth or pop culture, or if you see it in the word. Consider if what I've said is in scripture. Consider if Jesus demonstrates any of these practices. And, and ask why. Ask why there's that, that resistance to, to stillness, that resistance to, to knowing God in, in, in silence. Again, there's no condemnation. Just let's be curious about how we how we respond and let's be careful if we responding with 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 edginess or defensiveness to something that is in scripture and if it's not let's talk about that because we got bigger problems and the good news is that perfect love is not a, a, a fact that we have to try harder to get into our minds but it's a person perfect love is jesus christ Perfect love is seen in an actual historical event when a real person, Jesus Christ, went to the cross completely innocent and bore the weight of all of our sin, all the sin that we do out of our fear. Perfect love is a fact. It's a, it's a person, it's an event, and then he rose to new life so that we can live free from fear, fear of sin and death, punishment. And Jesus is the king. And that kingdom will not be shaken. It'll be his people completely united under Jesus and no other, no other name, no other idea, no other tribe. You just imagine the, the beauty of a fearless community of God's people as fear ratchets up everywhere. You know, there are troll farms all over the world hacking your social media to uh, perfect algorithms to make you fear. Imagine here we are, just a, a people united under King Jesus, looking to the cross, looking to his resurrection for our security and stability, uh, a kingdom that will not fall, that shall not be moved. Imagine what a testimony that would be, how, how beautiful that would make Jesus look to a fearful, stressed out world. And as we go into... This member meeting today, talking to myself now, and member meetings to come, Lord willing, they'll get better and better. Let me read how, how the story ends from Revelation 21, where we see that we will exist in one beautiful, joyful, unified, sweet, refreshing, eternal member meeting under King Jesus forever. So I invite you to close your eyes as I read this passage. And we close the, close the sermon here. And I saw the holy city, 
new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let me pray.